Hey everybody, Michael Davis here and welcome to Bone to Pick. We're coming to you today from Penn State University, State College, Pennsylvania. And uh, super happy to be here this weekend for the 31st annual Fruling Prozanen uh, Festival. And along with the great Bill Reichenbach and Peter Steiner, we're here uh, with our host, the great Mark Lusk. Um, and we're going to sit down today uh, for a nice chat with Mark about the program here at Penn State University, uh, as well as his extraordinary career as a performer. Uh, Mark joined the faculty here at Penn State in 1986, uh, started off as somewhat of a modest program, but he's built it uh, into one of the premier low brass departments anywhere in the country. Uh, his students have assumed prominent roles in all aspects of the music industry and music education. Uh, in addition to being one of the preeminent low brass teachers and trombone teachers, he's crafted a, a very successful career as a performer and soloist. Uh, he has recorded and toured extensively with the Woody Herman Band. Uh, his performing and teaching have taken him around the world, including uh, some really interesting residencies in Cuba, Chile, and Argentina. Uh, he's also performed with the Chicago Symphony Orchestra, the Eastman Wind Ensemble, and the Chicago Contemporary Chamber Players. Uh, he's worked extensively on Broadway in New York City, also freelanced quite a bit in Chicago. Um, he got his undergraduate and graduate degrees from the Eastman School of Music in Rochester, New York. He also has a performer's certificate uh, from Northwestern University. He is an artist and clinician for the great S.E. Shires Company. And uh, Mark, thanks so much for having us here today. And uh, thanks for sitting down for, uh, for our 10th anniversary interview here. This is kind of uh, pretty special. It's pretty awesome. It's, it's awesome to have you here for this event. Um, you've blessed us here at Penn State a number of times through the years. Um, when I first got here, I think you were maybe one of the first people that we brought in. And so uh, it's indeed an honor to be a part of this uh, Bone to Pick. Awesome. Thank you, Mark. That's very, very kind of you. You know, let's start with, let's just, let's dive right into Penn State because what you've done here is extraordinary. And uh, you, you just told, shared with me before we started that uh, this particular class is one of the strongest that you've had in, uh, in these 35 years that you've been here. Um, yeah. What, um, maybe just take us from the start, like starting here in 1986 and how you've gone about building this uh, very, uh, very distinguished program. Well, sure. Uh, I think... When we were in school together, um, you know, we talked about all the different things that we might do, but I think uh, you knew, and my friends knew, my colleagues knew that, that I was pretty attracted to the idea of, of having a career and teaching mm -hmm. at a university level. I had seen people like Vinnie DiMartino and uh, of course the legendary Emmy Remington and, and all the different people who had, had chosen that kind of path um, that had managed to uh, have a career teaching at the university, but the university gave them the luxury of being able to go out and play and do kind of mm -hmm. what they wanted to do. Uh, so I was in Chicago at the time. Things were going well. Uh, I was rolling along at Northwestern, and this job opened up. And it wasn't a lot to it at, the, at that time. Um, it was trombone and tuba and euphonium. Um, but you know, I, there was something about it. Uh, talking 1986, uh, almost anywhere you went, Penn State was on 
their people's radar. I mean, mm -hmm. they, they, you could say the name Penn State and almost everybody would know about it. Sure. And so I thought to myself, well, if you, you know, if you go there and you get something happening, the place kind of sell itself, especially in Pennsylvania. You know, you have everything from Philadelphia to Pittsburgh to Harrisburgs and the Erie's and the suburbs and the country and, you know, over every mountain, you know, kind of thing. There's probably somebody. And uh, so it just seemed like the potential was really great. Mm -hmm. And so I came here and sure enough, my first my first semester, I think there were four. Started out with five low brass majors, I think. And then soon there were four low brass majors because... One of them probably shouldn't have been here at that point. So, uh, but five years into it, I had close to 40, over, a little bit over 40 majors. So it just exploded for me. And, um, you know, it's been, it, it's been a wonderful place to be. Uh, I'm from a small, as we'll talk later, I'm from a small town mm -hmm. uh, in Kentucky and, and, uh, love of my life. I grew up 12 miles from me. And so I kind of knew that maybe going to New York or going, being in Chicago or LA or some of those other options probably was going to mean that that wasn't going to happen. And, uh, I was just a little too infatuated for that. And, and so Penn state's been a great place to raise the family. You sure, know, we yeah. have, uh, we've been able to raise, uh, seven pretty remarkable people here mm -hmm. we had a boy and then i had five girls in a row and then a, <laughs> a baby boy so um and um you know the colleagues have been great um the students have been great um do you feel like um you mentioned that the school sells itself which is a bit of an, uh, an understatement for towards you because you obviously built the program and people come here to study with you and that's why sure. they're they're coming here i'm just curious like in terms of how you built that recruiting was that something that you were just kind of naturally figured out or is that something you went after well like, you know and, and, we learned a lot about that at eastman together i mm -hmm. mean it was such an amazing collection of people at eastman and um so I remember I got involved with FIMU Alpha at Eastman, and, mm -hmm. and I sort of helped that group double and, and in size. And so I, 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 that's when I sort of began to, to realize some of the things that were important. But there's a few things that I really do believe about recruiting and building a program on any level, really. Uh, I try to sound off on the idea that more important than anything, kids recruit kids. Mm, okay. On any level. Mm -hmm. Like if uh, we've been successful at Penn State because of our trombone choir and because of getting our students out to play for people, um, those kids hear those, see those other kids playing, you know, um, I don't know. It, it lights a fire. Uh, maybe maybe even more so than seeing us play or seeing mm -hmm. us do what we do. Kids recruit kids. Mm -hmm. uh, the people we recruit are the teachers. So that uh, if you can remember when you were a young man and you said, well, I, you know, I, I'm, this is what I'm going to do. Where should I go to school? Well, somebody told you about Dr. Marcellus or somebody told you about the, you know, the, what was going on at Eastman or, Absolutely. you know, yeah. and, mm -hmm. uh, and so there you went. You know, somebody's on that short list. And so thankfully, <laughs> um, 
I'm on a lot of people's short list when it comes to, hey, maybe you ought to go check out Penn State University. So mm -hmm. uh, to me, that's the success in the recruiting. And then once you get somebody here and people, the teachers that they had before, they see they see the A to B, you know, and they recognize, wow, that's a, you know, that's a pretty remarkable thing. Uh, maybe we ought to send some more folks there. Mm -hmm. So, because it's all about teaching people, really, yeah. at the end of the day. That's a great. That's a great way to look at. It. I never really thought of that, but students recruit students. It makes a lot of sense because Absolutely. it's that's really what you're going to identify with, especially from an age perspective. Yeah. Um, I we talked about it a little bit before we uh, started the interview, but Mark has done 68, 68 solo recitals here at Penn State, which I'm also sure helps in the in the recruiting sure. process. But the, share with us uh, maybe a little bit about how you started that, and then and, and uh, you said you just finished your 68. So right, yeah. So. I, Except for uh, when I had, there was a child being born or uh, my wife was diagnosed with cancer at one point, And so that kind of, I didn't do one then. But the, uh, uh, every semester I do a recital within the first week of classes. Now that means I have to kind of hit it pretty hard over Christmas or, you know, towards the end of summer or something like that. But it's really, it's a simple philosophy really. You know, I want them to hear me play uh, before I start yapping at them, mm -hmm. you know, so that they have some idea of where I'm coming from musically or uh, sound-wise or, or, you know, just... So they have, they have some sort of an idea. Also, the other advantage, if you do one every, every semester during that, a senior is going to have heard six or seven of them. Mm -hmm. So... What a freshman hears their fresh, you know, first semester, their freshman year, they're not going to hear the same things that they're going to hear when they're a first semester junior, hopefully. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Hopefully they're at a very different place. And so they hear me play and, you know, they, they um, hopefully see some evidence of what I'm talking about. Yeah. And, uh, and then over the last 15 years or so, they've become kind of big events, you know, that usually ends up being a kind of a two-day event. You know, we'll have multiple concerts, uh, usually some sort of a jazz or some sort of a non-classical kind of a concert, then one that's a, a little bit more of a traditional uh, faculty program. We've brought in so many different artists. And mm -hmm. uh, so, uh, again, I think one of the very first ones was called Hit the Ground Running. And that I think you were a part of that mm -hmm. one. I think we did a yeah. whole Mike Davis night one night, actually, <laughs> so if I remember right. So. I'll calm this crowd, don't worry. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, so there is some method to that madness. Yeah. It's, you know, That's a great idea, uh, starting, starting the, the semester with that. It sets the tone for I mean, know, some, the expectations. Some folks who do what I do, they, you know, they maybe don't play any recitals, mm -hmm. and then mm -hmm. some play all the time. But mm -hmm. for me... Uh, I like to do it right out of the box so that uh, so we start the conversation mm -hmm. and uh, right from the get-go. Very cool. Well, tell us a little bit about Fruling Quozana now. We're, I'm thrilled <laughs> to be here. This is the first time I've been involved in to get sure. to, to work with Bill Reichenbach. It's always a treat. Um, but the 31st annual, this is pretty impressive you guys have been Well, we did 30 long. years in a row until okay. COVID. Yeah. And the last time we did it was here. Uh, and on that occasion, we had uh, Bonegasm with uh -huh. John Wharton and uh -huh. John and John Fetchock and the others. Uh, and then uh, we had Jay Friedman here. Yeah, but 
It's a funny story how this got started. I know you're going to appreciate this because it was really Dr. Marcellus's idea. Uh, right about the time I got hired here, um, Doc had become president of ITEA. Oh, yeah, yeah, okay. And one of his efforts was to move the workshop out of Nashville. Nashville yeah. Because yeah. it had always been in Nashville all the time. So he wanted to get it out and about. And so he, uh, it was the first time I think it was at uh, Elon College in, in Britain. And, uh, and then it was kind of come back to Eastman. And so came back to Eastman and, uh, uh, Doc comes to Hal Reynolds and I, <laughs> and as you all know, Doc's just such an idea guy, right? He's kind of an idea guy, and, and we were the ones that would try to like make those ideas come about. Uh, you think about our group that we had, uh, um, our jazz group that we had at, at Eastman during our day that was uh, sort of with Doc's encouragement and that mm -hmm, kind of thing. Mm -hmm. um, Anyway, he goes, he was kind of bummed because that gummit, that, that Harvey Phillips, he's got that whole tuba Christmas thing down. You know what I mean? Like Harvey even had, he even had the, uh, I think he has it like copyrighted or something like that. Like if you want to do a tuba Christmas, there's like a whole thing you got to go through. So Doc was thinking, you know, we, we kind of need to do something like that. And so he had it all written out. It was so cute. He had like, he had this thing. Trombone with a capital T, you know, long cross, cross T, trombone, and the E of trombone was capitalized, and then it was Easter. <laughs> trombone Easter. That's what he wanted to do. So Hal and I kind of look at one another, and we kind of like, <laughs> our brains kind of come up, run into the same hazard light, and uh, we're going... That's a that's an awesome idea, Doc. Uh, but you realize that's like the only day most trombone players have a gig all year. You know the old joke about can I leave my trombone here for when the Easter comes next year? So, uh, uh, but we began to talk about it and we began to flesh it out. And uh, certainly Easter is you know th this season is is such a such an awesome time for music. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, we started this thing where uh, it, Eastman would do it one year, Ithaca would do it another year, and we would do it another year. And so on Palm Sunday, for 30 years, we'd hop in our cars and we would drive to wherever it was happening. And each of us would do what we could to make it kind of a special day, a special event. Uh, the biggest thing about it... Uh, it's so great to have you and, and Bill and Peter and, and Constanza here and all that sort of stuff. But the biggest value, year in and year out, we got to hear them play. They got to hear us play. Mm -hmm. And these are their same age, you know? Because mm -hmm. there's a lot of schools where the trombone players might never hear another trombone player their age. So the value of that, and again, back to the recital thing, what a freshman hears at their first Frilling Pizanin versus what a senior or a junior hears at their neck at theirs, an entirely different ball game. Mm -hmm. So COVID knocks us out for a couple of years and 
Traveling is a lot different. So Eastman and Ithaca are not involved this year. Mm -hmm. uh, but I invited, uh, we still, I just felt it was important to do it. And because, uh, you know, too, too much time away, it's kind of gets harder to keep, to get started back up. So, yeah. so uh, West Virginia uh, University students and faculty are going to be here. Hakeem Balil and uh, Kevin McManus is bringing up his group from Indiana University of Pennsylvania, IUP, they mm -hmm. call it. And um, the University of Delaware with Bruce Tychinski is bringing his crew over. So, um, and then we'll do a big thing all at the end. Uh, that's always a great thing to play something, you know, a big number together. And, um, and we all get in our cars and go back home and it all happens in an, in an afternoon. Mm -hmm. And uh, hopefully uh, it's something we can do for another 31 years. Awesome. Yeah, well, kudos to you for uh, keep, keeping, it, keeping it alive and, uh, and restarting it after COVID. That's great. I know it's, it's hard. Sometimes you let it go a little while and then uh, it's hard to restart. But awesome. We're all, I know, we're all looking forward to it. So it should be a great day. Um, let's talk a little bit about your, your playing career and, sure. and, you know, we touched on obviously the recitals that are uh, related to, uh, being here at Penn State, but you've, you've had a really uh, successful career playing. I know we worked together in New York when you were doing work there. Um, maybe we'll start talk about a little bit about your time with Woody Herman's band, which is of course, one of the great big bands of all time, yeah. but, um, maybe share some of your memories of that. Um, well, I don't know how you, I, I'm sure you felt this similar playing with, with Buddy's band. Um, I, I listened to your interview with Bill and y'all were talking about that a little bit. And, you know, just to feel a part of that lineage and to feel part of that, you know, we were so lucky when we were graduating from school, when we were coming out of Eastman, there were kind of a number of different options for us to do that. Uh, and, um, yeah, I was I was a fan of Woody's band long before I ever played in it. Sure. Uh, of course, there had been a long tradition of great Eastman trombone players in mm -hmm. the band, and um, so I was lucky to do it while Woody was still around. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, I think just we all play in different bands and we swing in different things and we rock and roll in different grooves on different bands, you know, but man, when you play in a band that has that kind of tradition and that kind of feel, I know you got to play in the band a few times too. And it's just, a, um, it's something that almost feels sort of outer body. As a matter of fact, when people ask about what are some of my fondest musical memories? I think probably, probably one of the most still um, kind of goosebumpy sort of moment for me was when we did the 50th anniversary album mm -hmm. in San Francisco at the mm -hmm. Great American Music Hall, which was live. Mm -hmm. And the band never rehearsed, of course, and we had done, but we had done like 20 some odd 28 days in a row on the way to there mm -hmm. so we'd play the gig we'd have our sony pro walkmans on our stands and we would you know we'd record ourselves playing the gig and then we'd get on the bus the next day and 
and you'd see everybody <laughs> crawl onto the bus and then about 50 miles into it, you see everybody, the headphones go on and then people would, you know, they'd listen to the gig the night before. And I just never will forget, and you've worked with him too, uh, sitting next to John Fedchuk in that concert. Because mm -hmm. it was a live record. It was John's music. John's producing the thing. He's playing the solos, you know, uh, all live. Mm -hmm. And when you hear that album, I think about 75% of it was within the first 45 minutes. We just started to play, and it just almost felt like we weren't playing. Mm -hmm. It was just a really fantastic experience. How about Chicago Symphony? I didn't, I didn't realize that you had uh, performed with them. Sure. Well, you know, I, I, right after my master's degree, if you remember, I took Fred Sturm's place to run the jazz program and right. teach the low brass at Lawrence Conservatory. Mm -hmm. And again, I knew I wanted to do this someday. And back then, if you were going to teach, and still maybe, uh, back then, if you were going to teach brass, where do you need to go? Mm -hmm. You probably need to go to Chicago and yeah. find out what the heck's going on there. So I got myself into the, Northwest, the doctoral program at Northwestern. Had a wonderful assistantship there with Don Owens doing one of the jazz bands. So. I went out with, with uh, Woody's band in between the two. This is 84, 1984. Okay. First time I went out with Woody's band. And then started my work at Northwestern. Uh, doctoral students couldn't play in the ensembles. So I took the audition and I took some other auditions. And luckily, um, I, I did really, really well. Painter had me solo with the wind ensemble, like in my first few weeks there, oh, cool. uh, which was pretty crazy. And then I won the civic orchestra job, which meant that technically, if you were in the civic orchestra, if someone was to happen, you were supposed to like get a shot at playing with the orchestra. At least that's kind of like it used okay. to be. I don't know what it is now, but mm -hmm. well, I get there in September, October. Kleinhammer just says, hey, you know what? I'm done. <laughs> so it's like, talk about being at the right wow, place at the yeah, right time. Yeah. So for the, for the next, the, my whole time there, bef between uh, Kleinhammer and Charlie getting there, there was a handful of us that I would do if I would do a few weeks or a month or whatever, and another guy would do a few weeks, and, and that's kind of how it worked. And so whatever was happening in those weeks, whether it was a record or a tour or whatever, uh, so, so my first concert with them was at Ravinia, and Ravinia was doing their 50th anniversary. And so Kurt Mazur's conducting, right? And on Thursday night, it's Brahms 1 and 2, and on Saturday, it's Brahms 3 and 4. So here I am, I, I go and I sit down and here's Jake. Jake was kind of in a, in a flux, uh, a change over time. You know, he, he had gotten where he couldn't play all the time, but okay. he was playing, Jake was playing and Chris Foley was here. Wow. So 95 years of experience <laughs> on either side of me, you know what I mean? Yeah. And 
you know, you'd go to the concerts, Mike, in, in Symphony Hall. You've maybe been to them yourself, and you would go and you'd hear it, and that sound would be like, and the concert would keep coming, and it would just keep coming, you know what I mean? It was like one of those situations, oh, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. And it just got more and more glorious as the concert went on. So I'm sitting down, and I'm playing, and the group starts to play, and I'm used to this, right? They start to play, and I don't hear anything. I'm thinking, oh, okay. <laughs> All right, they're messing with the kid, you know what I'm saying? They're messing with the young guy some sort of hazing or something going on here. But no, I quickly realized that the reality was is that they were masters of the art of projection. Their sound was gone. They knew what they sounded like in every every seat in the in the place. You know, mm -hmm. the same way, you know, you and Bill know exactly what you sound like when it hits that microphone. You know what I mean? They just it it's 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 experience. It's mm -hmm. it's wonderful. And so um, yeah, it was, it was a pretty crazy opportunity. People ask about the, you know, that must have been like your most wonderful experience. I, I, it was pretty awesome, but I'll tell you to play with, with Joe and Steve Witzer that mm -hmm. summer mm -hmm. in Colorado, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. that was pretty special. Yeah. Too. Yeah. So, um, for those who don't know, was the you were in the Colorado Colorado Philharmonic in 1980, which is a now it's called the National Rep Orchestra or something like right, that. Right. But we do like eight weeks, and there were like th two or three concerts a week. You're just the orchestra was full of these young folks just yeah. chewing it up, and spitting it out, and uh, um, so I was I got to be in there with uh, Joe, which yeah. uh, Joe Alessi, I think was the summer before he he played in. Philly for the first time or somewhere mm -hmm. early on and uh and then uh, the great Steve Witzer who yeah. we who we all miss dearly every day totally such a yeah hopefully he's smiling down on us right now like <laughs> Mike, Mike 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 I got a couple corrections you missed today. let me show you what you're doing <laughs> yeah he's telling us he's telling us to play duets <laughs> um well that that's thanks for sharing the uh the story about Chicago Symphony what a thrill that must have been even though even though Jake was, was in a, you know, kind of a trans yeah, transition, yeah. but man, what the, the man, history. Man, sitting next to him and you hear, you hear everybody talk about that attack that he mm. played with, you know? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I mean, your bones would rattle. <laughs> I mean, literally your bones would rattle when he would give you that attack. And, and you understood why he was always so clear. Uh -huh. You know, that he also had that, developed that art of being just ever so slightly ahead uh -huh. uh -huh. so his that sound was like right there yeah it's awesome. really never never on the other side of it it was always on the front side of it let's shift gears a little bit and talk about um some of your work internationally and i noticed um uh, and i knew we, we talked about it when you had come back from it but um a couple really interesting residencies and tours how however you would describe them but uh Maybe share any memories that you, you jump out at you about about the trips that you made to Chile and, oh, and wow. Cuba and Argentina. Yeah, that's that's awesome. Um, well, the, it started with Chile and then went to Argentina and then there was the Cuba kind of thing was a little bit different. But um, I had a student, uh, two, one of my tuba students became the tubist in the... Uh, theater orchestra in Santiago, Chile. Mm, okay. 
And so um, he invited me down to Chile and uh, got to solo with the different orchestras. Um, uh, I got to play um, Spillman's Concerto that I oh, love so right, much. Yeah, and, yeah. and Ray Premer asked me to play his tuba concerto. And so I did that and uh, some other things. Um, but it was mainly just about going and seeing the people and teaching and playing for folks. I had the old Vivace before it's smart music. Remember right. the Vivace, sure. right? So I had a bag and I had some speakers and I had the Vivace thing. And so, and, and also had, uh, you know, a, a CD and things that I could use. And so I would play Sinatra, like those Sinatra things that George Roberts would play. Uh -huh. I played those everywhere. As a matter of fact, when I did the, my last concert in Chile with the National Symphony Orchestra there, my encore was two Sinatra tunes. <laughs> <laughs> and it uh, went over well, actually. It did. <laughs> and, and so you, there's, I have pictures of me playing in all these little towns, like all, you know, of course, Chile is, is about as from Alaska to San Diego, right? right? right yeah. So just all these towns up and down through. One of the conductors I played with in Chile uh, was kind enough that when he became uh, assistant director in the Teatro Cologne, the famous oh, yeah. Teatro Cologne in Buenos Aires, uh, he invited me to come solo there. And uh, that was pretty, that was pretty amazing that um, that hall, lots of performers, uh, Toscanini, uh, mm -hmm. Beverly Sills, mm -hmm. uh, have said that that's one of the truly one of the greatest halls in the world, mm -hmm. and uh, um, I'm sure when you made your trips to Buenos Aires and you know, got, I never got excited, but I but saw it right out It's like outside a national here. treasure, right? right? So, yeah, absolutely. Uh, and to be the, you know, um, they somebody told me one time after, you know, uh, while we were doing it, that, that was the first trombone solo in the history of the theater there. Wow, so, cool. yeah, and. Um, that was a pretty, pretty great experience. And uh, the great story there is that it, I was there for two weeks. And so the first week I'm like teaching and doing different things. And, 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 uh, and the orchestra was going to go on a little tour to Cordoba. And the, and the conductor um, would, had chosen a number of different, was some Gershwin pieces. So sure enough, the bass drum player got sick or something, and they said, well, can we have Martin play? <laughs> so I said, sure. So I went and I started, and I got on the bus, and uh, you know, I, and my Spanish is about as good as my English, which ain't so hot. <laughs> so I'm, I'm making my way to Cordoba, right? And everybody's taking care of me. They were just so great. And uh, sure enough, we're playing American in Paris. So I'm sitting back there in the orchestra and I'm kind of yucking it up with the guys there in the group, right? And uh, all of a sudden the conductor's talking and everybody kind of starts looking at me. And I guess in part of his introduction was he was going to say, he was changing the name of the tune to American in Cordoba. And he <laughs> had me stand up as if, you know, I'm the one that's doing it. But... Um, of the three that you mentioned, I, I have to say that the most, maybe the, some of the most important work I've ever done was in Cuba. Yeah. 
um, those people are so, so special there. I know you've probably, you know, you've been there with your tours and uh, maybe when it comes to culture, you know, whether it be music or dance or food or whatever, they might be some of the richest people on the planet. Mm -hmm. Seriously, they might be some of the richest people on the planet. When it comes to opportunity, some of the poorest people on yeah, the planet. Yeah. So uh, I'm so proud of the work that we did there, or are doing there. Last time we were able to go was literally September 2019. Was the okay. last time we went, okay. and we haven't been back. But uh, with the help of friends and and uh, musicians, uh, we've managed to take close to $75,000 worth of instruments there to wow. leave That's for awesome. the. Yeah. You know, we'd go there, we'd play them, and then we, when it came time to leave, we'd like forget our horns, you know, kind of thing. But it was just uh, um, very, very special. And next week, I'm at the University of Richmond. We're performing uh, this concerto that was written for Mike Davidson and I. Mm. Oh, when we're great. There. That's awesome. So uh, amazing people. The music is incredible. So. Yeah, that's awesome. I'm sure they appreciate that to no end. They, yeah, they get some instruments uh, oh, when... Well, that's nothing compared to what they paid us. Yeah. You know, I yeah. mean, when when I take students there, or when I take other people there, I'm going, look, I don't know when it's going to happen. It could happen in the first hour you're here. Mm -hmm. It could happen in the first couple of days. But you're going to hear something that is going to change your definition of music. Mm -hmm. What you thought mm -hmm. music was before. Yeah. That will get stretched yeah, when sure. you're in Cuba. Yeah. Awesome. Well, thanks for sharing that. Speaking of instruments, uh, I, I always make a point of, uh, and uh, this one is a no-brainer since we're both uh, with Shires, uh, but um, tell us a little bit about what you're playing these days uh, instrument-wise. I don't know, Chris, if they can see that over there or not, but uh, the uh, yeah. Mike Mark's assortment of uh, trombones are over there. Yeah. I, um, <clears throat> you know, of course we've been doubling ever, you know, from the get-go, but I was primarily playing bass trombone mm -hmm. uh, in the in the formative years uh, for me, and um, so. But when I started teaching, one of my things was uh, I was in Don Knob's last recruiting class at Eastman, right, right, okay. and Mr. Knob, God love him, he was such a he was wonderful, but he taught everybody on the bass trombone. And I remember, even as a freshman, noticing that, you know, some people, that was a little, little bit tricky, you know, because they'd hear Mr. Knob's sound and, and they would react to that, even if they were mm -hmm. playing tenor trombone. And, mm -hmm. and so I kind of, at that point, almost decided that I wanted to make sure that whatever we were playing, whatever I was teaching at any given moment, I wanted it to be what they were playing. So that if, you know, if we're working with a screwdriver, then I want to have a screwdriver in my hand and not a <laughs> hammer in my hand, right? You know, so, um, so that ties into the idea that switching around all day, when I first got the job at Penn State, I had a collection of horns that was awesome. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But about two years into teaching here, playing tuba and euphonium and different trombones, I got to where I could hardly play, I felt like I could hardly play any of them. So, and then I, then I realized that 
What I really liked was having a, a small bore horn, a tenor trombone, and a bass trombone that were sort of of the same brand. Mm -hmm. You know, it's like you can have a you can have a Suburban and a Honda Civic and a, a Subaru midsize car, and they all do different functions, but they also feel to just the feel of them feels totally different. Whereas if you have uh, you know, a Honda Odyssey, a Honda Accord, and a Honda Civic, they all do sort of different things, but they feel the same when you get in a car. Right, right. Steve blessed me with, as he has so many trombone players, but Steve blessed me with three horns that are, I don't even have to think about when I go mm -hmm. from one to the other. Mm -hmm. um, of course, all, all I, all I, Steve Shires. Just, right. just so everybody knows we're talking about the great <laughs> Steve, Steve yeah. Shires, yeah. Steve Shires. Uh, Steve blessed me with, with three trombones that feel so similar that all I have to worry about is the air. And mm -hmm. I don't know if you, with what you think about with doubling, but you know, so many people get to thinking about the mouthpieces or the chops or whatever. And for me, it's, it's all about the air mm -hmm. switching from one totally instrument agree. to the other. Yeah. Yeah. percent. Well, that's great. And, uh, I, I, I share the same love for Steve Shires as I think, as I think you do. I yeah. think it's just such a pleasure to work yeah, with him and, he uh, really and what is. he's created. And, you know, now on the bass trombone, when we were in school, the bass trombone, we're talking, I went to, I started in 1976 in college, man, that was at the heyday of the bass trombone changing, mm -hmm. you know, just everything was changing. The valves were changing. Everything was changing. And so, um, I thought about it and I was committed to the idea of a diatonic I'm getting in geek land here, but you know, the, <laughs> the, the tuning of the instrument, right, I was, right. I was, if I was going to play an independent bass trombone, I wanted it to be diatonic. So I liked the idea of B flat, G, F and E flat mm -hmm. and the way it spread the notes out across the instrument. And, uh, so I've always kind of done that. I was mm -hmm. maybe, uh, uh one of the ones that did that more in the beginning. Yeah. But other than that, you know, it, it's just been a, it's been a great ride with these horns and, and I'll probably play them till I'm done. Yeah. Awesome. That's great. Well, let's do another shift in gears here and talk about, you mentioned uh, your family and I've known your lovely wife uh, almost sure. as long as I've known you. Um, but tell us, uh, where's the, where's the Lusk uh, family at these days? I know you've got grandkids now and. Uh, sure. Yeah. Well, I mean, I, you know as well as anybody, um, I don't, I don't teach a lesson, I don't play a note, I don't conduct a note, I don't do anything that's not directly connected to to Patrice and mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. my love for her, and um, you know, I, I think at the end of the day, that's what music is, right? It's all about expression. It's all about human. Yeah human expression and uh, this human here you can't really take apart from 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 her and from our from our family uh they're you know they're uh, they're an inspiration to mm -hmm. me uh mm -hmm. they've there's seven unique people who who have their own drive and their own ambition and um good people and happy so i mean that's uh, that's the best you can hope for, I think. Yeah, that's, that's uh, really awesome. You know, so, uh, you know, at the end of the day, um, I feel like I've had two families, really. Mm 
there's those folks, but then you can't get around the family I've had here. You know, the um, I've graduated over 170 music, you know, trombone music wow. people okay. in my time here. Yeah, there's a lot. That's a and, uh, you know, it's just been so amazing to see the things that they do. Um, so, uh, and the way the, you know, my my family accepted this other family mm -hmm. uh, in my life has been uh, has been a real blessing. You know, they could have just, you know, um, sometimes that can be a that can be a bit of an issue. But mm -hmm. for me, um, everybody's been pretty cool so far. That's awesome. I remember the last time I was here, which is probably seven, eight years ago now, maybe more. Um, you had everybody over and the and your kids a couple a few of your kids were there and uh, Patrice of course and right. the trombone department and it was just like one giant happy family. Yeah, it was really I think a good, so. good I feeling. Think so. Really cool. Yeah, I think so. The um uh of course you came you went to my to my hometown and yeah and because I know watching a lot of these interviews of late, you know, I I'm a little bit different in that, you know, I started very, very late. Mm -hmm. Um and uh my high school band director just passed away a few okay. years ago, and or a few months ago, and um, uh, Mr. Davis was just—he uh, was like the music man. You know, you've been to my hometown. I mean, yeah, it's like, Brandenburg, Kentucky. Yeah, I mean, he came to town, and it was like, whoa, who is that? You know, <laughs> I was like, well, who is that? What's he doing? And and it was just truly, you know. I was a ball player, and so to to you know to just jumping on that and and uh, yeah, so I I feel very lucky to have you know made it and to to hear uh, to get to Eastman and be with that incredible group of people that we had at Eastman. Mm -hmm. Yeah, uh, yeah, awesome. That's great, Mark. As we wind down a little bit, just a couple more. Uh, topics I wanted to ask you about. Um, for, I guess first, um, what's the future looking like for uh, for yourself? Uh, I know you're talking about playing next week at University of Richmond, right. and, uh, but uh, also for this, the plans here for uh, for Penn State as you guys uh, carry towards your uh, your fifth decade of being here. Right, right? well, it's, uh, I'm, as you see with Furling Pazanen, and, and uh, I, I'm I was inspired when I went to Eastman to to hear the stories of Emory Remington and all the teachers. Mm -hmm. There were some teachers that were still there when we when I right. showed up. Yeah, you know these fifty year folks. You know, mm -hmm. I, I've always been inspired by that kind of longevity and that kind of tradition. I guess I feel like we have a bit of a tradition here. Sure. Yeah. Um, It's really all about attitude, you know. Do you feel like you, like Eastman is a place? Is this a trick question? Yeah, I, I, <laughs> I don't think Eastman's a place. <laughs> okay. I think Eastman's an attitude. Yeah, oh, I, I see what you mean, yeah. You know, I no, think, I, I, and, so, and so I never really feel like, I try to feel like I never really left Eastman. Yeah. I try to create that same kind of... Yeah. Thing here, you know, I, I remember, of course, Bill's here, and and you see that picture of like the, 
the the Remington. Remember the record? Sure. And had the picture of, of the yeah. choir there, you know, and there you and just the, you know, that kind of camaraderie and that kind of, you know, um, that was an attitude that you came into. It didn't really matter whether it was in Rochester or not, mm -hmm, really. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, I feel like that's what I try to try to perpetuate is those kind of attitudes and those sorts of things where we're trying to do the the right things. And um, so, I think that's if I can just keep the tradition mm -hmm. going, that would be great. Um, in regards to, you asked about Penn State, and then you asked about, um, what do I see? What was the second part of that? Uh, just uh, where, where you're taking the studio and, and going forward, but you kind of answered it. I mean, you, yeah. you keep, keep, not to overly be general, generalized too much, but, you know, keep doing what you're doing. Obviously, right. it's yeah. working incredibly yeah. well. Um, just keep trying to put the music first. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I'm a big believer in that. If you put the music first, good things will happen. Mm -hmm. When things start to get weird, it's probably because we've lost, we've, we haven't kept music in the right perspective at that particular moment. And um, so, um, so, yeah. Cool. Well, last, last thing, uh, I always kind of end with this, uh, and, and you've given us a lot of great advice in this interview, and you give your students uh, great advice on a regular basis, but for a young person sitting out there who might uh, watch our interview here today, what, uh, what advice do you have for that person who might be interested in uh, getting into Penn State or getting into Eastman or sure. any al along those lines and then thinking about a career in music? Well, there's always the things that stand out. I'm, I'm a big believer that versatility creates longevity in mm -hmm. this business. I mean, you think about our Question. group, yeah. our group that we grew up with and how versatile everyone was. Uh, there's no, there's no way to to get around that, you know? So, I mean, I, I think you have to, you know, uh, look for that versatility, you know, uh, great music is great music, no matter what kind of music it is, you just gotta figure out what it is that, you know, is really making it happen. And mm -hmm. um, another thing I think that's of critical importance, I think is that you can't expect your music to mean something to somebody if it doesn't mean anything to you. Hmm. So I think whatever song you're singing, whatever piece you're playing, whatever dance you're dancing, you know, it's something that you really kind of need to try to believe in because uh, that's what people will react to. When it hmm. means something to you, it'll mean something to them. Hmm. Yeah. Well, so, um, and the world needs a lot of that these days, I think. Yeah. Yeah. It, needs, it needs us... Um, saying something mm -hmm. so awesome mark awesome really enjoyed it uh, the awesome. time and looking forward to uh the, yeah. the rest of today and all of tomorrow yeah, and hopefully we'll be able to pepper this interview with a lot of pictures and oh yeah things from oh, this yeah. weekend we'll make it, yeah uh, yeah we'll make yeah. that work and uh, for all of you i uh, hope uh if you're in penn state sometime try to make it and make it by fruling pozanen which always happens on palm sunday so we'll look forward to tomorrow and, and years to come with that and uh and the great work that Mark Lusk is doing here at Penn State. So really enjoyed uh, our, our time today with Mark, and uh, I hope you guys did too. We'll see you next time on Bone to Pick.